0: Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary. We're glad you're here with us this morning. And of course, Thursday, we have finally passed the Thanksgiving marker. That means we're preparing for Christmas 2020. You know, isn't that the way it usually works? Well, of course, Thanksgiving marks a milestone in the epic calendar that, of course, moves its way to Christmas each and every year. In fact, we have a young lady here in our church that constantly reminds me of where we are in the calendar when it comes to the number of days until Christmas, and I can be guaranteed that on January 1st, 2020, I will get that first update, letting us know that we are 364 days away from Christmas coming once again. Christmas is one of my personal favorite times of the year, not only, of course, because most importantly, it represents the time that we remember the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But also because of the fact that it reminds me of what He gave us through His sacrifice, His death, burial, and resurrection that, that 2,000 years ago that still reverberates through our culture and society today. The salvation that He, that he imparted to us, that, made, that He made possible for us is one of the most incredible aspects, of course, of Christianity. But I have to ask a couple of qualifying questions before we continue. I need to know who we need to pray for in our church. How many of you actually went out shopping on Black Friday? Is there any? They live in Ohio, so we really, that's their problem. Um, But, uh, oh, you did it here, though. Okay, well then we will pray for you after church, Carrie. You know, anybody else go shopping on Black Friday? I am so, so, well, you're young yet, you know. You 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 you, you went on Thanksgiving, would well, you have the turkey drumstick and then you ran out and went shopping? Good, well, my present better be pretty awesome then, you know. Isn't it incredible? See, my wife and I, we live in Schaumburg and... Black Friday, most sane people who live in Schaumburg don't leave their homes. In fact, we board up the windows, we put metal gates on the doors. I mean, it's incredible. What happens at Woodfield on Black Friday, I mean, is, is it's like watching uh, one of those apocalyptic movies. I mean, all the zombies walking in through the store and so forth. It's one of those days you just try to avoid altogether living in Schaumburg. You know, it's bad enough we got people who don't like the parking spots outside who drive into the mall now in Schaumburg, and uh, now we have to deal with, of course, Black Friday in Schaumburg. And there's always fights, and there's a riot, and there helicopters fly over, you know, and you know, with the big spotlights. It's just like, oh, what a fun, fun time, you know? So you can honestly say, you know, listen, I saved 30 bucks on that, you know, potholder. You know, Really? Really? It's incredible what people will do to obtain what they believe will be the ultimate Christmas gift either for someone else or, nowadays, for themselves. Isn't it interesting, too, that when we were kids, Christmas meant a time where we would get presents of what we wanted? You know, the, one of the saddest points of Christmas for me is that when you went from the toys and you got the next box, the next present, and it was the socks and the underwear, you knew that Christmas was coming to an end. You know, you knew that this was almost over and it was another, how many days, Haley? 365 days <laughs> until Christmas once again. But then as you get older, all of a sudden, when people ask you what you want for Christmas, you find yourself coveting those socks and underwear you know i could really use some new socks you know i i know i'm a christian but my socks are holier than i am you know and you know or you of course you know need the unmentionables and and so forth and you become excited about getting those things that you need rather than those things that you necessarily wanted I think it's because as we get older, we appreciate the value of what these things cost, and if we're going to apply ourselves and our finances to something, well, maybe it should be something that we can use throughout the entire year, and not just something we get and receive, and there's that awe factor and that wow factor for the moment, and then we kind of put it in the pile either to re-gift or to return and so on and so forth, and we never really enjoy that in which we've been given. When it comes to Christianity, we've been given the greatest gift, and that is salvation. And I don't know if we truly appreciate that any longer in our culture. Each and every day I read another article about the number of people leaving the Christian church. Going other places. Most of them going nowhere. Opting out altogether. They want to be identified as the nuns. And for some, they've said, we're done. And no longer associating themselves with Christianity or uh, with any type of religion whatsoever, they've discovered that they have now become an agnostic. That they don't really know if God exists or not and They don't know if he's real and if they can trust his word. And they certainly have come to the conclusion that they don't know if they can trust his church. And many of them believe that, well, if it was true, then how could God continue to withstand the incredible suffering and injustice that the world poses? But as people walk away from Christianity, I have to ask myself the question, Do they really understand what they're walking away from? Oh, they could be upset with the church and be walking away with the church, but do you understand that walking away from the church in Christianity, you're walking away from something much greater than that? You can be walking away due to your personal experiences, and you can be walking away due to the fact that you don't believe that you can trust the Bible any longer. But do you really understand what you're walking away from? Do we all comprehend that walking away from Christianity is walking away from the only path of salvation that God has offered His creation? But unfortunately, many who have walked away from Christianity have walked away and now oppose Christianity and believe it is the actual impetus that is keeping our society from progressing in what they want to believe is the natural evolution of man to a higher being. If we're seeing the evolutionary process around us, then we are not evolving forward. We're evolving and falling backwards, aren't we? We are not representing a higher life form any longer as human traits more are characteristic of animal traits rather than one of a higher being. Do they understand that they're walking away from the salvation in which God has provided for mankind? I can't believe that they truly understand that because I would have to believe if they truly understood the salvation in which God has provided for us, that it would render them a moment of pause before abandoning it. You know, I think for us as a church, we need to ask ourselves a question that is posed throughout the New Testament. I'm going to give you two examples in just a moment. But the Bible asks us the question very distinctly. Do you know that you have truly experienced the salvation that God has provided through Jesus Christ? You're not a Christian because your family, your parents are Christians. You're not a Christian because you go to church any any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. You're not a Christian because you've grown up in the United States of America. You are a Christian when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, where you've repented of sin and believe on Him for your eternal life. And throughout the New Testament, the writers stopped for a moment to ask their readers to consider, are you truly saved? Have you personally experienced the salvation that God has provided for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ? For example, Paul says to us, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do work for his good pleasure. Take a moment to consider. Have you truly experienced the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided for humanity? Paul went on in Corinthians to state, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul is asking us the question to answer very clearly, have we experienced the salvation in which Jesus Christ has provided for us? So what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is we're going to be looking at this salvation that Christ has provided for us. And we're going to be looking at it from four different dimensions, because everyone is in need of the salvation that Jesus Christ provides for mankind. In fact, if you've come here today, you've come here on an extraordinary day because I'm going to teach you the entire Bible in 30 seconds. And if you're like me, who made your you know way through the educational process through Cliff Notes. Um, you're going to appreciate this. Every one of you hopefully has a Bible on your lap. And I don't know how many of you have read from cover to cover Genesis to Revelation, or if you're an overachiever, even the uh, words in the back and the weights and measures table. But that being said, many people do not understand what the Bible is actually saying from cover to cover. Unfortunately, in our society today, we no longer encourage personal Bible reading. You know, I wish everybody, every believer would read through the Bible at least once, if not more, in their Christian life. From Genesis to Revelation. Yes, even the book of Leviticus. But reading through it and understanding what it says. But if you're like one of those who are resistant and want to believe that putting your Bible under your pillow at night, thinking that you're going to learn it all by osmosis, um, and (laughs) you've been disappointed up until this point... I'm going to teach you the whole Bible in 30 seconds. If you take the first two pages of your Bible, this is when God created everything and he said all things were good and he created man and woman in his likeness, in his image, and then yet something happened. They were tempted. They had one rule. And yet Eve believed that the serpent had something to offer her that God did not and and that she would know God and be like God if she took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, as she did so, she did not realize the consequences that pended. So, here we have one page of everything good, right? We have one page where everything goes sideways, right? The rest of the Bible, and if you give me just a moment, hold on, let me get there. This entire portion of the Bible is God bringing everything back to the way he originally intended it to be created and that he could say that it is all good. In this section of the Bible is the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation for all mankind. And then, of course, at the end of the Bible, you have the very last page where everything goes back to the way it originally was meant to be created and that therefore uh, no longer tainted by sin and by death. This is the entire Bible in 30 seconds. However, though it is this portion of the Bible that I think Christians need to refamiliarize themselves with. To truly understand the salvation in which God has provided for us through the person of Jesus Christ and therefore realize it is the greatest gift offered to man that has ever been offered to man. But as these people continue to leave, I have to ask the question, do they truly understand what they are leaving? What they are abandoning in the wake of the unknown and to embrace something that they have no confidence in whatsoever of producing any kind of manner of salvation for their personal lives. And yet this isn't the first time that it's happened. In the days of Jesus... In John's gospel in chapter 6, after Jesus got done teaching many of the people, they all departed. And in verse 66, John writes to us, he says, after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus then turned to the 12 and he said to them, do you want to go away as well? And then Simon Peter, who often had the gift of putting foot in mouth, gets it right this time and he asks himself the question if i abandon jesus what shall i embrace in the wake or in the vacuum of that abandonment and then he says to jesus notice here simon peter answered him and said lord to whom shall we go for you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god paraphrase in the new english eric translation lord we got nowhere else to go use it you're the way you are exactly who you said you were there's nowhere to go from here now paul tells us that in the last days we must be careful because he says this to the, writer, to the recipients there in the church of Thessalonica. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is his second coming, and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by the Spirit or by spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In verse 3 he says let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction Paul says that one of the signs before the second coming of Jesus Christ is a departure from the Christian faith we call it the apostasy where people turn away Showing and, and manifesting that they were truly never of the Christian faith. John wrote about these apostates in 1 John 2.19 when he said that they departed from us to display and to show that they were never truly of us. For if they were truly of us, they would have continued with us. But since they departed from us, it shows and demonstrates that they never truly were of us. Say that ten times fast. Especially after a turkey dinner. But where does one go if they depart Christianity and leave it for the unknown of agnosticism? And that's truly the unknown. I don't know if God is real, and I don't know if God can be known. From Christianity, they're turning away more than from just a church or individuals or their own personal experiences. They are turning away from the salvation that God has provided mankind for jesus said i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me and we're going to explore why in just a moment as we continue on in our series together but salvation over the next four weeks is going to be looked at from four different dimensions first we're going to see that the first dimension of salvation is a rescue mission It's a recon mission that God has imparted uh, upon. Where he says, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. It then moves to a relationship with God. A reconciliation between fallen man and holy God. And in the wake of that relationship, the third aspect of our salvation is a renewal. Being made whole again in Christ. And lastly, our salvation then is kept by being restored to that place where God originally intended us to live and to occupy. Let us remember that the first two chapters of Genesis clearly tell us that God made everything perfect and all was good and man and woman were created in His image and everything was perfect and He had perfect fellowship and relationship with them and so forth. And He knew that if sin entered into this world That sin would bring about death. But that's not the only uh, consequence to that sin. It was also going to bring separation from Him, it was going to affect every aspect of His creation. When we look at the effects of the fall of man, the introduction of sin within a perfect society, we discover from the very beginning that sin challenged three areas right off the bat. Theologically, it challenged. Number one, it changed our whole relationship with God, severed it, made it impossible for us to once again relate to God and have relationship with God because he was holy and we are no longer in that state. But not only did it affect us theologically, let us understand that one of the great impacts of the fall was the manner in which it affected us psychologically, the way we think, where we had a mindset of perfection and we could interact with God and with others in perfection. Now our mindset has completely changed and you know what it's become? All about us. Because now, instead of enjoying the eternal life that God had given us, it's all about now self-preservation. And so when people say, well, our society is moving to a more self-absorbed, selfish society, that's the natural decrest. Uh, decrease that's the natural progression it's going to become more and more and more and more about the individuals this is why people are struggling in their marriages this is why people are struggling in their relationships this is why people can't keep friends you know why because it's all about us right and every relationship is not weighed on the fact of the blessing of the relationship itself but what can i gain from the relationship that i am within It's one of the saddest aspects of the fall of man. But it also changed everything sociologically. Our interaction with one another. It changed every aspect. I could make arguments that it changed the actual fabric of the biology of creation. Why? Because creation was made to be permanent, wasn't it? And now it's in a continual... uh, despair and it's continually um, you know winding down to the point of destruction the first law of thermodynamics indicates that that the world itself is consuming itself all of these are the effects of the fall and the salvation that god provides for us addresses all of the areas of the individual that has been affected by the fall so many people believe that oh i'm saved so that means when i die i'm going to heaven well that's part of it but that's not the totality of it that's not all of it and over the next four weeks i hope to share with you the incredible experience that we have in the salvation that God is providing for us through Jesus Christ. But number one, we must understand that the salvation that God provides us begins with the rescue. It begins with the rescue. Each and every person apart from Christ has found themselves in a position where they are in need of being rescued. Some don't realize it. It's not as obvious to them as it may be to others that they need something to save them. Now it's obvious that we would need to be rescued if we found ourselves floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean hanging on to a simple buoy. We would know that as we look around to the horizon and we do not see anything but the ocean line itself, the waves masking our view at moments and taking us to the top and then to the lower parts of the wave, we would understand that we are in need of being rescued, that we are incapable of rescuing ourselves. In fact, that's one of the number one um, scenarios that people never want to find themselves in, floating adrift in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Number two was being buried alive. People don't want to ever consider being buried alive Where no one could hear you. No one could, you know, hear your cries for help. And being trapped there, just watching your own life dissipate before your eyes. Number three was being covered in an avalanche. Having that moment where you don't know which way is up. You don't know if you're pointing down towards the mountain or if you're pointing up towards the sky. But you find yourself in a desperate situation. Number four was being trapped in a burning home. Unable to get out, surrounded by fire in every direction. Number five I thought was very interesting and I don't know if I've ever been associated with a person who get, who's afraid to get stuck in an elevator i don't know how we go from all of those to the elevator but that's what number five was and maybe that's your terror here this morning let me out being constantly bombarded by elevator music no no make it stop you know but when you're in those situations you understand that you cannot save yourself Each and every person apart from Christ is in a desperate, dire situation and your life is on the line. And they don't understand that. They allow the social norms to comfort their hearts and their minds saying, well, I'm not nearly as bad as someone else. Or they just uh, try to eliminate any kind of reasoning that would indicate that there's a life after this life. And they just stop there, and they just believe that once they close their eyes and die, it'll just be like an eternal sleep, a non existence, that there's nothing after that moment whatsoever. And so this is it. But yet, if you read the Bible carefully, you will find very quickly that you are in a desperate position before God. Because your sin has separated you from God. And what awaits for you is an eternal death. Separated from God due to that sin. And that cannot be alleviated or remedied by anything that you do. You cannot reconcile yourself back to God through your good works. There's nothing the Bible says you can do to remedy that situation. You are in complete, complete position of incapacitation where you can do nothing you are impotent in the process and if god left us there we would be hopeless that's why when people talk about religion i say i do not associate myself with a religion because religion in the base element of it is a man attempting to reach god in and through his own good works they say well then what do you liken christianity to I said a relationship where God reached down to me because of his incredible love through the person of Jesus Christ. And he offered me salvation and the world's salvation through his only begotten son. Because he desired a restored relationship with him through Christ that only Christ could provide for us. But until we see that we are in need of being rescued, before a holy god and there's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves we will never ever ever truly truly appreciate all that jesus christ has done for us so number one in that rescuing process is the rescuing of sin now we've been given illustrations of the rescuing of god and his people throughout the old testament i think of noah When God was about to pour judgment down upon the earth he saved eight souls in in the ark and sealed that ark and that ark contained them for the days necessary to withstand the judgment of God. We see the rescuing of God's people from the incredible tyranny of Pharaoh and the slavery that he brought upon them. These people were incapable of rescuing themselves. They needed a deliverer and they found that deliverer in Moses. And in the New Testament Jesus says, I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to eliminate your last enemy, your greatest enemy, the enemy of death itself. And the only way that he could do that is by releasing us from the bondages of sin. As I stated, each and every person born after Adam was born with a sin nature before God and separated from God. And the wrong that we have done in our life is just simply a manifestation of that sin nature within us. For the Bible clearly teaches us, the Bible clearly teaches us that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, right? Not some of us. Not half of us, everybody, sinned before a holy God. None of us were born righteous. Only one was, and that was the person of Jesus Christ. The psalmist wrote in the Old Testament, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, that is sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me from the very beginning. David realized that he was born into sin and this sin carried the weight of death and the wages of that sin was death. As Paul clearly stated in Romans 3.23, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And ultimately he stated that for the wages of sin is death. But sometimes the smallest words in the Bible are the most reassuring. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, period, right? Is that what your Bible says? Period. There's no other way. So before God could do anything, he needed to rescue us from sin, past, present, and future, and he did that in the person of Jesus Christ, But then secondly, after releasing us from the bondages of sin, he then needed to provide life in the place of the vacuum that death left behind. So he then goes on. He says, number two, we must be rescued from death. For John writes, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And John went on in 5.24 and stated, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And lastly, John assures us in John 10, 27 and 28, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I I give them, excuse me, eternal life and they will what? perish when what never. shout it never. never okay never perish it ain't happening oh we may die physically but eternally our spirit lives on and no one will snatch them out of my hand so not only did jesus rescue us from sin but he rescued us from the death that sin produced within in our lives but the bible tells us we also have an adversary here on this earth an adversary that he himself became when he personally rebelled against god an adversary that created a world system that what lies within it is everything that would draw us away from god the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life It would keep us from the salvation in which God has provided for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. But do you realize that once you get saved and once you receive and experience the salvation that Jesus Christ provides for you, you change teams. You go from the dark side to the light. You you go from a Packers fan to the Bears. (laughs) Jesus told us that the evil one has come for one purpose and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The Bible tells us clearly that the evil one is like a roaring lion seeking in whom he may destroy. So Jesus gave us the ability to be released from the rule of the wicked one. For all who are apart from Christ are part of this world and this world system. And as Jesus says, your father is not God, your father is the devil. But Jesus came. And notice what Paul writes here in Galatians 1, 4 through 5. He says, Who gave himself for our sins, that is Jesus, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul then went on to clarify further in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, when he writes, But the Lord is faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That word guard means those hands that hold you, that will never allow anything to take you out of those hands and to snatch you from those hands. He's saying, I'm guarding you. The evil one no longer has reign over you. You are no longer subjected to him. You are no longer part of our fam- his family. I've adopted you into mine. And now you are safe in the hands of God. But the person apart from God has one to fear that is even greater than the evil one himself. The fourth dimension of the rescue that which Christ provides for us is that ultimate rescue. That moment in time where we realize that we stand before God in and of ourselves. The moment in time where we realize that we have to account for the sin of our lives by ourselves. The last of the rescuing comes from rescuing us from the wrath of God to come. God will hold all sin accountable. Each and every person who may think that they're getting away with things here on this earth will one day be required to stand before God Himself and give an account. And as we will read in just a moment, that account will be thorough. That account will be comprehensive. Nothing is closed to the eyes of God. All things are open and naked before Him. And this life is the time in which God has given you to make a decision for His Son, Jesus Christ. To deal with the sins through Christ rather than having to deal with those sins in and through yourself. For Paul writes about this moment, he notice what he says here. He states. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we were all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and then the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. That's who we once were. That's what this salvation that Christ provides for us rescues us from the wrath that is to come. That wrath is clearly indicated in the book of Revelation. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And as John is writing about this moment known as the Great White Throne Judgment, notice what John writes. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what He rescues us from our sin. He rescues us from death. He rescues us from the evil one. He rescues us from the wrath of God. Well, how does he do that? How did Christ do that? Christ did that by becoming a substitution on your behalf. He stood up in your place and allowed the judgment to be poured upon him. He allowed the consequences of your sins to be poured upon him. He allowed the death that you owed due to the sin that was in you, he took upon himself. He vanquished the evil one by being the perfect one. And he stood in your place before God the Father as your propitiation for your sins. Let us all understand that each and every one of us stands guilty before God. And either we're going to stand before God in that guilt alone or if we are in Christ we will have one that will stand between us and God the Father. As I were to if I were to stand before God today What would happen is that Satan would be right for accusing me of all the wrong that I've ever done, past, present, and future. And I would be guilty of sin before God the Father. I would have no excuse. I could do nothing to justify myself before a holy God. I could not say to God that God had not provided a way for me to escape the consequences of my sin. And yet being a believer in Jesus Christ, what happens at that moment is one of the greatest and most extraordinary aspects of Christianity. It's at that moment that the Father is about to present sentence, as I like to put it, that Jesus Christ steps up and He stands before the Father in between Him and I. And He indicates to the father he is one of mine and his sins have been paid for upon my shoulders upon the cross. I was a substitute in his place. The death that was going to fall upon him has fallen upon me. I have paid for those sins and not only have I cleansed him from his personal unrighteousness and the sin of his life but i've also draped around him the robe of my righteousness and my glory that he may stand before you father one who is perfect and at that moment the humility is overwhelming isn't it there's nothing i can say then because all that was done on my behalf was done through the grace of God. And I just stand there, speechless, cannot utter a word, as Christ becomes my propitiation of my sins, my substitute. For He has redeemed me through His blood of the incredible sin of my nature, and of my character, and of my deeds. Paul wrote it this way. He stated this. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That was a great place for an amen. You totally blew that one. I'll give you a second chance. Wow. Totally odd. I have to read it first, then you can say amen. (laughs) Ephesians more one more verse where he says, in clarity, for grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There we go, right? Doesn't it feel good? This is what Christ has rescued us from. This is what he has redeemed us to. And let us now see in this last verse in which we have just read together that the salvation that has been provided for us wasn't simply given to simply save us, but to prepare us for good works. This is where salvation then becomes a practical outliving in my everyday life see the bible says that once a person gets saved they become a new creation in christ that all things have passed away and all things have become old and and gone and all things become brand new once again and so many of us don't understand that with the salvation that God has provided for us, not only does he begin to heal the effects of sin on our theological understanding, on our psychological understanding, on our sociological understanding, but then he begins to give us purpose and place within this great big world. And we understand who we are in him and there isn't any ambiguity. I don't have to try to guess in who I am. I don't have to try to think and concern myself with, am I truly uh, a male and female based on my binary understanding or is there something more to it? No, we know who we are in Christ. And this is what makes a person whole. And this is what we will look at next week as we begin to move forward and understand that in the next aspect of salvation, as we move from being rescued and brought into relationship. We understand the impact of that relationship. We understand that we are now truly new creations in Jesus Christ. And we can walk and live as if we had never walked or lived before. In fact, I will make the argument that each and every person who is living apart from Jesus Christ is not living but simply surviving. You know why I say that? Because there's no way you can understand true life until you experience that true life that has been given to you in and through Christ. So God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. And therefore Paul writes in Romans 6.13, in closing, he says, do not therefore present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God uh, as instruments of, of righteousness. And that's where we'll take it for next week as we learn about the incredible act of reconciliation that takes place that allows us to once again enjoy the relationship that God has always desired to have with you and I. I don't care what you've ever done. There's nothing too great for God that He cannot forgive it. There's not a sin that Christ has not paid for. In fact, the Bible clearly tells us that there's truly only one sin that keeps people out of heaven. There's only one sin that keeps people from the salvation in which God has provided for them in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Just one. There's just one sin. And that sin is the rejection of Jesus Christ that's what keeps you from that relationship that salvation that he has provided for you if you reject the means by which god has provided it then you reject your only hope of being rescued from sin death the evil one and the wrath of god